You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Today, uh, we're going to be closing up our Exile series. And it's going to be, uh, it's been an incredible series uh, that we went through. First Peter, Second Peter, and now you guys get the privilege. We are preaching a whole book of the Bible in just one day. So without further ado, give it up for our pastor or Reverend Rocky Nichols. Thank you, Pastor Sean. We are going to do something that has never been done before in the history of this church on this stage. One pastor is going to preach through an entire book in one sermon wearing this shirt. <laughs> never been done before and you are all going to be witness to it. How many of you have ever read through the whole book of, uh, book of Jude? Just a few. Ray, come on, raise your hands. Let's see. How many have read through the book of Jude? Okay, now honestly, how many of you have ever read through the entire book, from the first part to the last beginning to end? Now, how many have you ever completely read through the full book of Jude? I mean, it's almost a full page. Okay, not quite as many, but still enough. I really was hoping that we could end the sermon with an altar call, and the worship team would play Hey, Jude, but Pastor Bobby said no. I'm going to get right into this, and I'm going to read a large portion of this scripture, so hold on to your seats. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are, they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. I'm going to stop right there. The reason being, Jude is so full of information, interesting points that raise questions, and then it gets into 
a very clear point of contending for the faith against false teaching. And he uses rebellion to identify those. So I'm going to stop right there. We'll pick up a little bit later. But when I look at the book of Jude, I've read this, I believe, close to 50 times now. We were on a trip, Pam and I, a few weeks ago, up to the UP, where the Upers live. We are trolls because we live below the bridge, and they are Upers. And if you're up there as a tourist, you're a fudgy. Well, we were troll fudgies up there. And we got just about to the bridge and thought, oh, you know, we better get gas and all that kind of stuff. And it, we saw the exit sign, and we hurried and pulled off. And it turned out that was the last exit before the bridge. What if you don't have any gas in your car and you need gas? There's no gas stations on the bridge. What if you had trouble with your car for some reason? There's no way of turning around. If you don't want to go up and be with the Upers, it's too late. You are committed. The book of Jude is the last exit before the apocalypse. It's the last little book that gives us the final warnings before the end comes. There's so much to unpack. I look at it like one of those blow-up life rafts. You just pull the pin and poof, everything comes out. One little verse in here can be expounded into a sermon. And I don't want to miss some of these really cool things that he's got in here. And I'll probably leave you with more questions than answers, but that's okay because I hope it inspires you to delve into this and find those answers for yourself. Or come to me, I would be overjoyed to share the answers with you. He begins by saying, Jude, a servant of Jesus, brother of James, to those who are called, that's you. He wrote it to the people of his day, but it's to you because you are called. Now, his name is Jude, but it's short for Judah or Judas. Judah is the Hebrew. I think Judas is the Greek for that, but of course he abbreviated it because who wants to be known as Judas, uh, Judas Iscariot? So he shortened it to Jude is what we would think. The brother of James, who was the half-brother of Jesus which means Jude was a half-brother of Jesus. Together, in an election, they would make up one vote. Now, he doesn't pull the relative card and brag that he is a blood relative of Jesus. He's humble, and he says that I am a servant of the Lord Jesus. And just to point out that these two half-brothers are blood-related to Jesus. In Matthew 15, or 13, 55, we read also that Jesus had other brothers and other sisters. So if you ever are hearing that Mary was a virgin throughout life, I think that pretty well refutes it. I don't think they had a very good uh, adoption system going back then. Verse 3, Beloved, I was eager to write to you about the common salvation, but I found it necessary to write to contend to the faith. Why does he just not get into contending with the faith? Why does he tell us, there's a lot of good things I could be talking about, but instead we've got to talk about all these bad things. Because I think that contrast shows us that there are many good things ahead of us. But if we don't deal with those bad things first, we may not get to those good things. Verse 4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. Hmm. You know, people never really come to the church. Pastor Ben, correct me if I'm wrong, but people never really come and say, hey, I'm an apostate and I want to spread my heresy among your people. Is that okay? And I believe strongly that most people that are in error actually don't know it. 
They have convinced themselves that they are in the truth, even false teachers. And that should scare you. Because where does your truth come from? People you've talked to, people you've heard on the television, pastors in this church, me. Your truth needs to come strictly from the word of the, of the Lord. Whatever any of us say, you need to go and verify that yourself in God's word. In verse 5, now I want to remind you, although once you knew this, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, Jesus, this is the only version I know of that uses Jesus' name. Most of them say the Lord brought the people of Israel out of bondage. And when I have always in the past heard the Lord, and maybe you too, we think the Lord is in heaven and Jesus came to earth. But this one lays it right out there. It was Jesus who led those people out of Egypt. In fact, his birth was not the first time around in this earth. There are many pre-incarnate visits to earth from Jesus. The sound and the voice in the Garden of Eden was Jesus. Jesus provided the lamb for the sacrifice with Abraham and Isaac. Jesus appears to Moses in a burning bush. Jesus was the angel that wrestled with Jacob. Jesus was the man with the drawn sword before Jericho. Jesus was the cloud by day and the fire by night that led the children of Israel through the wilderness. And to start it all out, Jesus, it was his voice, his words that spoke everything into existence. In verse 6, we read, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the day of judgment. What is that all about? That goes to a story back in Genesis 6 where we read that angels apparently left their heavenly abode and cohabitated with humans, actually had sexual relations with women. How in the world can that be? I don't think anyone has any idea how that could happen, but it's right there. The thing that comes to my mind that is most important about that, maybe not most important, but most interesting to delve into, is that there are layers of authority in the heavenly realm. There are layers of authority in the earthly realm. What we can see, we know there's authority. We can kind of assume that what we cannot see has also authority. And God does give us a little indication. The Bible talks about seraphim in Isaiah. It talks about cherubs in the Garden of Eden. It talks about thrones in Colossians, dominions in Ephesians, and strongholds, and powers, and authorities, and principalities, and rulers, and archangels, and many, many angels. We get the word nefarious from that story because the Nephilim were the beings that were produced from that illicit relationship. And many people use the word nefarious. There are nefarious things going on behind the scenes and they don't know what it means. The word nefarious comes from the word Nephilim. Speaking of archangels, in verse 9, but when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume or pronounce blasphemous judgment. What is that all about? I don't remember reading that in the Bible, and I did read the Bible all the way through. Can't remember everything, but I don't think that was in there. That comes from a, an apocryphal book called The Assumption of Moses. There's another 
verse, later on, I think verse 14, where Enoch prophesies, the Lord is coming with his ten thousands of thousands of his saints. Well, I don't remember Enoch prophesying either. We hear hear just a, a little bit about him, that he walked with God, and then he was not because God took him. But this is another, it's called a pseudepigraphal book, uh, First Enoch. Both of these books were well known in the time of Jesus, but they were not um, inspired. But that does not mean that an inspired author of God cannot pull from a non-inspired book. It doesn't mean that they are false or untrue. There are some reasons that they are not canonical, but still... The inspired writers of the word of God can pull, and it has happened in many instances. We can go through the Bible, but I won't spend the time on it. But you and I actually pull from uninspired information all the time, and we trust it. No reason we cannot trust what God's authors have written. Even our government officials, I would think you would agree, are not inspired, but from time to time, they actually do speak truth as well. Jude again confirms a layering of angelic authority when he talks about the archangel Michael says, the Lord rebuke you. Because Michael apparently realizes that Satan could possibly outrank him, so he calls on God to take charge here. In Matthew 28, 18, God says, or Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth is given to Jesus. We also have that authority because he gave it to his apostles in Matthew 10, but only through his name. I would say it's best if we ever go to cast out demons that we don't talk directly to the angelic realm, but that we say the Lord rebuke you. It's a bit safer. Now, I left off at verse 11. And this is what I want to focus on today. First, I want to read this statement that I found by a very wise and knowledgeable scholar who happened to actually write this yesterday afternoon. Jude devotes much more content to recognizing his recognizing false teaching and the signs of a rebellious heart than he provides for the personal application at the end, thus implying that recognizing rebellion, which is the title of this sermon, is in itself the solution to avoiding both false, false doctrine and personal moral failure. So let's focus on three primary examples that Jude gives us of rebellion. The first one I'm going to talk about is Korah. Korah was just a few generations away from Levi, the son of Jacob. He was a Levite. He was in charge of the things that surrounding the tabernacle at the time. The temple hadn't been built yet. Korah being a man who is probably large and in charge, noticed that Moses was a timid leader. He was feeble when it came to talking. By Moses' own admission, he thought he was not the man to do this, but God appointed him. In fact, God appointed him for a purpose because God wants to be the leader. That's why he uses us 
fail and feeble uh, human beings because it's actually God who's in control. So Korah thought, why shouldn't someone else who's a more appropriate leader lead instead of Moses, perhaps even me and myself? He went right to Moses and he said this, confronted Moses. And Moses fell on his face to, and before the Lord. And God said, tomorrow I want you to separate yourself and the camp of Israel away from Korah and his associates and all of his belongings. And they did so. And God opened up the earth and all of Korah and his friends and family descended and it closed on them. God does not take defying his authority or those that he appoints lightly. Then there's Balaam. We hear about Balaam's error. It's not really easy to find when you read the initial story of Balaam because Balaam really starts out to be a fairly good guy. It calls him a prophet. He refers to God as the Lord my God. It leads me to wonder, was he actually a prophet of God who went bad? But anyways, the children of Israel are now moving into the land adjacent to Moab. And the king of Moab, Balak, sees all these people. It's like all of West Michigan moving to the lot next door. It's a horde of people, and he's wondering, are they going to attack? He knows about Balaam, who plants curses on people successfully. So he hires Balaam to come and put a curse on Israel to stop them. But Balaam says, I can't do that. I cannot speak against the Lord my God. He tries many times to offer him riches to do this, and each time Balaam says the same thing. And when he goes to curse, he just blesses Israel. This scenario comes to a halt. And then we find that Israel goes into Moab and prostitutes themselves with the women of Moab and bows down to their idols. We read in other verses later on in the Bible that give us the understanding that Balaam, even though he outwardly obeyed God, behind God he schemed to actually get the way of Balak and get his riches. He did get his riches, but he also lost his life. And then there's Cain. Cain, the first son of Adam and Eve, and Eve was joyous because she thought, the Lord has sent a savior. But that was not to be. She had a second son named Abel. There came a time when God required a sacrifice, an offering. Abel raised up a flawless lamb. He slaughtered that lamb and he offered it before the Lord. And God was pleased. Cain, on the other hand, brought some fruit and vegetables from his field and gave them to the Lord. Both were legitimate offerings but not what God had asked for because for this God required the shedding of blood and I don't know if you've ever seen an animal die I'm a hunter and I don't think any hunters really enjoy seeing that we all want to pull the trigger and watch it just fall over and go collect our prize but the shedding of blood is ugly and it is dirty and it is messy and few people ever want to do it. But it's that way to give us the understanding of the penalty and the price and the cost of our sin. 
I'll never forget the first time I had my own homegrown chicken dinner. I heard my dad had done this when he was a kid because they raised chickens. Well, at some point in time, I was raising a lot of birds myself for a different reason. But I thought, you know what? I ought to eat one of these guys. So I grabbed a chicken by the legs out of the pen, and I walked out behind the barn with an ax in my hand. And the first thing I realized is this chicken does not want to cooperate. It was the hardest thing to get him to hold still. Long story short, I finally did. I set the ax into the stump, the head came off, and the chicken just took off a flying like he wasn't buying this at all. And I'm standing there holding this chicken just showered with all this red fluid when he finally stopped. My hair, my eyes and glasses, my shirt and my mouth was full of blood. And if you've ever tasted the raw blood, not recommended. I cleaned myself up, cleaned the bird, brought it into the house, cooked it, and ate it. And honestly, it was not good. Because all I could think of was what had happened with killing that animal. You know, God required a sacrifice. Abel brought the sacrifice. But Cain did it his own way. Do any of these three sound familiar to you? Do they resonate in your life? Do you, like Korah, have a tendency to defy authority? I mean, when you're told to do something, do you immediately step back and go, well, wait a minute, why? Or like Balaam, do you obey God outwardly and up front, but you scheme behind the scenes for gain? Or perhaps like Cain, you know what God requires, but you're going to do it your own way. If any of those above are true, then just as God said to Cain, sin is knocking at your door. Our world today is in a wholesale rebellion. We have redefined marriage where God had said it was one man and one woman. We reassign gender where God said he created them male and female. We have devalued human life where God said where a life is taken, a man's life will be required. We have dissolved the family. We promote civil unrest. But Korah defies Authority. Balaam schemes for personal gain. And like Cain, as well as Frank Sinatra said, we do it our way. Don't be part of any of these things. Worship team, if you could come. Jude continues in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit... 
Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Jude has this most simple application. Aside from recognizing rebellion, he says this, build your faith. And you do that by keeping in the word. I know some of you don't like to read, but you can get it on your phone. You can listen to it. You can read just short little snips. You don't have to read the Bible through, which is pretty cool. You can read one verse and let that rest on your mind the whole day. He says, pray in the spirit. Being Pentecostal, I immediately go to praying in tongues. But I want to say in this regard, I think it's more referring to just being present with the Holy Spirit as you pray. And remain in his love. How do we remain in his love? By showering the love he gives us onto the people around us. So if you remain diligent in these things, these three activities, then false teaching and a rebellious heart will have no foothold in your life. <clears throat> If you could all please stand with me right now. And if we have any prayer partners here, if you could come up to the front on the outer edges, perhaps. And then I'll ask for those of you standing. Is there anyone here who generally needs prayer? Is there anyone here who has never come to repentance and known the forgiveness and the love of God? Is there anyone who needs to confess, as James said, to confess your sins one to another? Perhaps there is a rebellious heart. Let me be the first to say you're not alone because I struggle with this all the time. I think most of us do. But let's take care of those struggles while they're small. Or do any of you need answers? If so, come forward when the worship teams plays. But first of all, we are all going to finish this book together. So if the words are on the screen, if we can get those on the screen, if not, just delay what you say and listen to what everyone else is saying or me. But this is called the doxology. It's in a few of their letters. It's really a beautiful send-off saying that you have so much hope and we're giving it all to God. So, if you would repeat along with me, I'll read this rather slow. And at the end, let's have a big amen. Now to him. I'm not hearing anybody. Is everyone talking? Okay, there we go. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling 
and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. First of all, I want to say thanks, Rocky, uh, for bringing the word. Uh, it's a tough book. It's uh, got a lot of detail. And man, you have poured yourself into that. And uh, you've well done. Well done. There's a concept in scripture that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. How many have heard that before? That that's kind of our responsibility, right? We we wrestle with scripture and we and and certainly Jude is one of those places we can do that. Uh, but we when it comes down to it, Rocky's takeaway at the end, his application that we should stay in the word. That's where we should be wrestling out and, and working out our salvation, always coming back to the Word. Praying in the Spirit, we, we not only read God's Word, we invite the Spirit in. But then his last point, to remain in love. If we're going to be in error, let's lean towards love. Amen? We will be known by our love. And in eternity, we'll work out all the things that we didn't get right. And we're all going to get things wrong. Isn't that right, Bobby? And so, Lord, help us. Lord, I just pray that we would be wrestling, working out our salvation, growing like we learn in Second Peter. Lord, no matter where we find ourselves, like in 1 Peter, as exiles in a land where we don't have the greatest voice. What is our call as exiles? Ultimately, to be love, to represent you. And Lord, truth is none of us are gonna do it right 100% of the time, but Lord, help us to be right more often than not Help us to grow in your love and to be love. And on that note, Lord, I pray that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us today. We give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you. Go in the grace of God. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.